Hey friends, you're listening to OKY. I'm your host, Michael Grove. Here we are on January the 17th, and we are 17 days into this Bible reading plan. So proud of you for sticking with it already. And just so you know, you are now four days past Quitter's Day. That's right. January 12th is known as Quitter's Day when most people stop doing the new habits they started at the beginning of the year. So hang in there, friends. We are going to cruise through the Bible together this year. Actually, let me rephrase that. We are going to read the Bible together this year, but we won't finish the whole thing. And the beauty of that is we will slow down and learn a little bit more as we read together. So follow along if you can. Otherwise, let me read this over you. And in the end, I will give you a few thoughts before we end our time together. Here we go. Reading Luke chapter 13. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. On the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leaders said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall? and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for eighteen long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said all this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about sixty pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, 
Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you and where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case... I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This concludes the reading of Luke 13. Let me give you a few thoughts before we end our time together. So, I absolutely love my wife, Christy. She's my best friend, and I would do anything for her. So, if she asks me to do something, or if there's something that she would want me to start doing differently, guess what I do? I do it because I love her, because I want to do whatever I can to make sure she knows I love her and that I make her happy. Now, I get it. I'm not going to change who I am or completely just derail because I want to please her. That's not healthy. Like, there's a balance to it, and I have to be able to do what's right while still trying to honor her first. But out of love... There's not much she could ask of me that I wouldn't immediately try to figure out how to do. Again, because I love her. John tells us, This is love for God, that you obey his commands. He even tells us in 1 John chapter 5 that his commands are not burdensome. Do you know what he's talking about? Exactly what I just expressed about Christy. When you love someone... You're willing to do whatever it takes to show that love, to honor them, and to change and be who you can be to encourage and lift them up. So in Luke 13, verse 23, when someone comes and asks Jesus, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Jesus' response basically says he's looking for the type of person who would love him the same way. I mean, listen to what he says. In verse 24, he says, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, 
You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Listen, at danger of being accused of preaching a works-based gospel, like this isn't works that gets us saved, okay? It's the grace of God that saves us, period. Nothing else. However, our works, our ability to do whatever it takes to show our love for the Lord, to chase after Him, to try to find out how we can please Him and honor Him, that is proof of your deep devotion and love and adoration towards the Lord. So Jesus says, do whatever you can. Make every effort to enter through the narrow gate. What does that mean? Well, to figure out how to please the Lord. I love Paul's writings in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. In verse 8, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And then listen to verse 10. He simply adds, And find out what pleases the Lord. Then he goes on to say, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, rather expose them. So what is Jesus talking about in Luke 13 when he says, make every effort to enter through the narrow gate? He's basically calling us to a commitment to say, don't try to be like everybody else. Don't try to just get by with whatever you can. Look, I don't believe in works is the way to get saved. I'm not trying to tell you to do good things so that you will be saved. You are simply saved if you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only answer for the sinful life that you have lived. If you believe that, and you have accepted him as your savior to save you from your sins, then you're saved. So what am I talking about? Salvation is the beginning steps. If we can grow and be discipled so that we can do what's right and make every effort to enter through the narrow door, we will be shedding off layers of our old life that didn't know Jesus. And as we shed those off, it's less likely for us to get trapped back in the deceitfulness of the world. So go up a few verses to verse number six, where he tells a parable about a man. He says, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went out to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. This is a story about doing the work to grow. Now, think about a fig tree for just a moment. Where's the first place in the Bible that we read about a fig tree? Well, in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, they realized they were naked. And so what did they do? They covered themselves with fig leaves. Now, one of the theories of Dr. A.J. Swoboda is that the tree Adam and Eve ate off of probably was a fig tree. Because if you were to cover the sensitive areas of your body with fig leaves, they were likely the only leaves nearby. Because fig leaves are very coarse. They're very sandpaper-like in texture. So it's interesting to me that whenever Jesus is talking about a fig tree, it's always in judging it for its fruit. 
maybe because in the garden, it was a fig tree. And so the fig tree is a representation of man's unwillingness to grow and obey God. But listen to the redemption of what Jesus says in this parable. Though the fig tree that he talks about in this parable had no fruit, and though he instructs that the fig tree should be cut down, listen to the grace inside of Jesus' story. Sir, the man replied, this is verse number eight, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. What is the man doing? He's doing the work to produce fruit. Because this is Jesus' story. He's willing to let people have the grace to grow fruit. He's not willing that people will just be punished for what they deserve. He wants to give people the opportunity to grow. And friends, it's all of our responsibility to grow. We all should become more holy and more like God every single day. Not because that's salvation, but because it shows our dedication to the Lord. It shows our willingness to move past the sinful way of life that is behind us and search for the fruit that God would produce on us. So what type of fruit are you asking God to grow in your life today? It's not a fun question. Here's why. Because the moment we are real with ourselves and realize that there is a spot that needs growth, then we're forced to address it. And when we ask God for that type of fruit... He begins to stretch us beyond where we are to where he wants us to be. And that type of stretch takes work. And work, my friends, isn't always fun. It isn't always easy. But I promise you, as Hebrew says, nobody likes this type of discipline. But in the end, it produces fruit. So start by asking the Holy Spirit to search you and to reveal to you everything that you need to know. And then, make every effort to enter through the narrow door by listening to the Holy Spirit and then doing the work to grow. That's all the time we have left for today. I love you and God bless.